Well, if you would, let's turn to Micah chapter 6. And I want to examine this text today. We'll, we'll examine the first eight verses of Micah 6, but I want to start with this question. What does the Lord require? In Micah chapter 6, we see this verse, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, it's, of course, it's always good to get the history behind the text we're looking at. And, of course, this is one of the minor prophets. This is a time when, really, God's people were at a huge crossroads. In fact, we want to just look at this. The familiar theme among the prophets at this time, 750 to 700 B.C., was the divine chastisement of Israel by the nation of Assyria. Assyria was in her full strength and glory by this time, ravaging the heathen nations and taking Israel captive and even threatening Judah severely. This is the time that the prophet is writing. He's writing to Judah. He makes some statements to Israel because Israel had not gone into captivity at this point. But his primary directives are to Judah, the southern kingdom. And so because of this, this scenario, Assyria is about to, to you know, come on the scene and become the, the world power that's going to take Israel. Micah focuses on three primary things. First, he considers the holiness and righteousness of Jehovah's deeds. In essence, what he says, God is always right. That's a good thing for us to remember too. God is always right. But then Micah considers the hope of Messiah. And we sang about that this morning. The grace that came upon us because of the Messiah. God will send the answer to all of life's problems. But then Micah thirdly considers the need for ethical and godly living. As in honesty, justice, and mercy. In essence, what Micah is telling the nation of Judah... And what God is telling us today is this, that I, speaking of God, have a way that I want you to live. And God has a way that he wants us to live, folks. Even if we may discuss it and, and disagree with some things and, and really just try and contemplate and kind of push things aside, we have to come to the ultimate understanding is that God has a way that he wants us to live. So Micah here is warning Judah that God is going to judge them similar to the way that he's going to judge Samaria or Israel at this time. In essence, we could put it like this. Parents, have you ever disciplined a child? But at the same time, what you did before that is you set another child up in the chair and said, watch and learn. Discipline the child so the other child can see, don't do this. Because this is what happens. That's what Micah here is saying. Hey, Judah, watch. Watch what's happening to Samaria. Watch what's going to happen to Samaria. Learn. But the problem is, is that Judah didn't take the hint. Because less than three generations later, Judah was invaded by Babylon in 586 BC. So what's the problem here? 
Well, if we turn there to Micah, if you're there, and let me get there because I wasn't there. And... In Micah chapter 6, what was the problem? Well, God had a controversy with the nation of Judah. And in verse number 1, here's what the prophet says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, ye mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. What is, what is the prophet saying here? He says, Judah, God's got a problem with you. I've got an indictment. There's something that you're doing that I have a problem with. And this would regard the sins that the nation of Judah had started to really dabble in and had become a part of their lifestyle. These sins, God's got a problem with that, but he's got a problem with something even more than just the sins that Judah had started to embrace. And what was that problem? What was that indictment? He says this in verse 3, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. What is God saying here? He's saying, Judah, I I took you out of captivity. I've done all these things for you, and yet you've you've gone and you've, you've delved into idolatry. You've delved into the sins of the other nations. In essence, God's saying, what? What have I done to deserve this? What have I done to make you, to push you this way? And of course, the answer is nothing. God didn't do anything, but he's trying to get Judah's attention to say, wait a minute, what are we doing And really, the answer to the question, and God says, what have I done to provoke you to this? The answer to that is really only good. I've only done good. Why have you been provoked to do this? Now, I want us to look at the response of the people. And I wanted to give you what the response is, and I'm going to show you from the Word of God what it is. But the response to the, of the people is simply, how can we appease this God now? How can we appease him? Let's look at this. In verse number 5, he says, O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him and what happened before Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Here's what the people say, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God the Most High? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Look what Judah's answering. Judah's saying, okay, okay, God, we see that you have a problem with this. Oh, there's an issue here. What can we do to appease this now? And what do they say? Well, you know, how about, can we give you some burnt offerings? You know, Leviticus chapter 1 talks about the burnt offerings. And he says, the sin offering. And then he goes into, they, they go into some hyperbole here with thousands of rams and thousands of rivers of oil. I mean, these folks are really putting it on here. And they even go to the fact to say, can we give our firstborn to appease you? Look what they're doing. They're treating God like he's one of the gods of the nations around them. Where the nations around them could live any way they wanted to, but if they just brought enough sacrifices to their God, 
gods. They could appease their gods. That's what Judah's trying to answer here. Judah's trying to say, all right, we want to live the way we want to live. But God, we want you to still be happy with us. So what can we do to appease you? Well, God doesn't answer them and say, all right, here's how you can live everywhere, any way you want and still appease me. No, he says in verse number 8, Micah says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? He's not going into this whole thing of how they can appease their God. He's saying, no. The prophet says, you knew what God required of you. In fact, you knew what you could do to please God. So folks, I want to just share today is that it is not about appeasing God. It's about pleasing God. They knew And Micah's reminding them of that. As if you see here, you'll notice that this kind of statement was made earlier in Israel's history. If you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10. This whole thing about the require, what does God require of you? He laid it out specifically for them in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10, and we'll start in verse number 12. Look what the word where the Lord says here. And now, Israel, verse 12, what does the Lord your God require of you? Wow, very similar language. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and shows their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer Stubborn. Look what God says here. Very similar to what Micah relates in Micah chapter 6. He said, look what God has done for you. He set you up as a people special to him. He chose your fathers and your forefathers and then their descendants to be his special, his, his love above all the peoples of the world. So he said, God requires something of you. And then I like how he ends this. He says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Now, we understand the Jewish rite of circumcision. We understand that God gave that to Abraham as part of the covenantal uh, covenant there. But here, he doesn't say, go and and circumcise the males in your tribe. He says, circumcise your heart. He's getting now to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is always the heart. It's always the heart. And if we understand that's what God is trying to say here in Deuteronomy, and that's what Micah is trying to relate to to the nation of Judah at that time, it's time to look at the heart. They knew what God required of them. The law had showed them. God had told them. Because honestly, here's what the point is. God didn't want sacrifices. 
God didn't want sacrifices. Turn over with me to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. And then if you want, prepare yourself. We're going to Hosea chapter 6. First Samuel 15 and verse 22 says this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. This is where Samuel is confronting Saul. And Saul said, I'm going to do this. I can do this. I can sacrifice. And Samuel said, wait a minute. Stop. Time out. You really think that you can appease God just by saying, well, I can do a sacrifice. Samuel says, no, Saul, here's the point. God doesn't want your sacrifice. God wants your obedience. God wants you to love him with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. That's what he tells Israel. God doesn't want you just to have your life and then, oh, I'm going to sacrifice to God to make things right. God doesn't want that because God doesn't want sacrifice. And you can jot Hosea 6, 6 and look at that later. It's the same thing as is mentioned there where God, he says, God doesn't want sacrifices. He wants you. He wants your heart. So in essence, what did God desire? God didn't desire for Israel just to follow a bunch of rules. And here's what I want to focus on this morning. When I'm talking about these requirements that Micah's dealing with, we're not talking about that God is saying, okay, I want you folks to have a list of rules. If you do these things, you're good to go. That's not what he's saying here. Because all the things that God required of them came from the heart. They had to have a heart that first was dedicated to God, solely to God, only to God. And out of that would flow the right things they were supposed to do. So when they stopped doing the right things they were supposed to do, what was telling us about their heart? It was far from God. What the nation of Judah was saying, and what we often say today in our lives is this. I want to live the life I want to live. I just need to make sure that I cover a few religious bases to make sure that God and I are tight. It didn't work with the nation of Israel. It didn't work with the nation of Judah. And it won't work with us. Because instead of looking to appease God, we need to look to please God. And there is a difference there. So let's go back to Micah 6. And what I want to look at these three requirements that Micah gives. Three requirements. And I can put it this way. If I want to please the Lord, because that's what Micah is dealing with, if I want to please the Lord, here are the three requirements that Micah gives us and gave the nation of Judah. First, if I want to please the Lord, I must live my life doing what's right. I must. This is, this is a non-negotiable. I must live my life doing what's right. Now, what does it mean here when it says in your text to do just, to do justly? It's this concept of doing what's right. Now, in context here, Micah is addressing some very, very, very harsh societal ills. 
what had happened was the, the nation of Ju- Israel and Judah, what they had done is they had started to look out at the other countries and see what the other countries were doing and how they were living. And, oh, we see some good things here. And started, they started to embrace some of the issues. And some of the things that they were embracing were the negative things. And so the nation of Israel started to, and Judah started to get into this thing of, you know, how they would treat each other. They'd treat each other unjustly. They, the rich and the poor, there was a big separation there, and the rich would oppress the poor. Uh, they were cheating on each other. They were just, you know, according to being, being good to each other, they'd stop doing this. And that's really the indictment that Micah lays upon and other prophets do, is how they were treating one another. And so he says first, hey, you need to do justly. You need to stop mistreating each other. You need to stop cheating on each other, deceiving one another. So this doing justly is especially in regards to others. But literally, God is asking us to choose to do what's right in every aspect of our lives. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because we live in such a relative society. Because if you notice, if you notice how our societal thoughts are, truth is relative. That's what they say. But it's not really. Truth is not relative. But we live in such a relative society that when someone gets up and says that God is asking us to choose to do what is right in every aspect of our lives, they'll look at that word every and go, eh, time out, that's a foul. Because you're saying every, you're making something dogmatic here. You're, you're making it absolute. Yep. Yep. God wants us to do right in every aspect of our lives. In essence, from A to Z, from taxes to table manners, from how we dress, how we entertain ourselves, how we treat other people, how we treat our relatives, how we treat the neighbor down the street, how we treat the homeless person. Every aspect of our lives, God wants us to do right. Now, you, you can go to this, maybe if you can find a scripture that says, God wants you to do everything except this. You don't have to do right there. That's our making in our minds. Where we go, you know what, God? I, I agree with you. I need to do right here. I need to do right here. I need to, uh, oh, I didn't, I forgot about that one. Well, let's kind of let that one go. God, I'll do all these other things right, but this one here, I, I really like the way I do it better. No, no, to do justly. That incorporates into everything in our lives. See, folks, it's not enough for us to live religiously. We need to live righteously. Even the proverb said this, where it says, even a child is known by his doings, whether it be pure and whether it be right. We teach our children to do what's right. We try to. Because God wants us to live righteously. So that's the first requirement. If I'm going to please the Lord, I must live my life doing what's right. Secondly, I must treat others with mercy. If I'm going to please the Lord, I must treat others with mercy. Look in our text there, it says love kindness. It's the Greek word kased. It's used often in the Old Testament. Translated sometimes kindness, sometimes, oftentimes mercy in the, in the King James especially, or steadfast love. This word 
that translated here kindness is often used in reference to God's mercy towards mankind. In fact, there's a lot of times where it's used that way. It's saying God showed mercy upon us in how he brought a redeemer to redeem us. Even through the Old Testament, he's talking about this mercy. And there are points in time when God's people sinned in the Old Testament and God showed mercy upon them. That's what he is saying here. The same kind of mercy that God has shown, this is the same kind of mercy or kindness that he says, if we're going to please the Lord, we must show this kind of mercy to others. Now, I think it's interesting here that he said earlier, do justly. Okay, so do right. But you notice here, he doesn't say mercy as an action. He doesn't say, I want you to be merciful. That would be the action form. That'd be, okay, we're going to do this. No, what does he say? I want you to love mercy. I want you to love kindness. So in essence, what it's saying here, it's not just an action we do. It's a, it's a focus we need to have. To love it. I love my wife. It doesn't mean that I just do certain things for her. It means it encompasses a whole lot more. And that's what the prophet here is saying. That's what God is saying through the prophet. I want you to love mercy. Folks, do we love mercy when it comes to other people and how they treat us? Oftentimes, in our conservative movement, we've got a bad label of treating others harshly. You know, even on, online, on the internet, social media, someone comes up and says something negative about things. Instead of treating them kindly, we just respond really harsh. You say, well, I'm standing for truth. No, no, you're just being obnoxious. And you're being a jerk. All right? No, because the way we respond to people can be done in a merciful way. You can still speak truth, but you don't have to be an idiot about it. How about that? Mercy. Love mercy. That's what the the prophet is saying here. Do we love mercy today? And a little side note. We love mercy when it comes to us. When we goof up, we make a mistake, we say something we don't want, we sure want other people to have mercy upon us, don't we? But then it's all truth for everybody else. Well, they made this mistake, they did this, they did this, no mercy. Wait a minute, we need to love mercy. We need to love mercy for others like we love it for ourselves. So if we want to please God, please the Lord, we must treat others with mercy. In fact, that's what God is, isn't it? God is merciful. Ephesians chapter 4. It's that we're supposed to forgive others as Christ hath forgiven you. So first, we must, live what, we must live our lives doing what's right. Secondly, we need to treat others with mercy. And then third, the requirement that Micah gives is I must humbly walk in God's ways. Literally, the texture says I need to humble myself to walk with God. Or if we want to even get more literal, the picture is bowing while walking. That's the picture of this, bowing while walking. And this is kind of cool for me because my back hurts a little bit. So this let me stretch it out here. It's indicating a lifestyle. It's just not moments in time where we, oh, yeah, I did what's wrong. I humble myself before God. And then we go and live life and we just kind of live life the way we went to and, and proud and on arrogant and all this. And oh, God, oh, God, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's walking while bowing. 
That's how we should be before the Lord. Now, we can't observe people doing that, right? Because if we were all walking around like this all the time, we'd look goofy, right? We'd look goofy. So physically, we can't show people, I'm walking in obedience to God. I'm humbly before God. No, no. So how do we see this? How is this seen in our lives? Just really quickly, three ways it's seen. An individual that walks humbly with God, first, they have a teachable spirit. They have a teachable spirit. Have you ever encountered someone where you disagree with them and all of a sudden they... Or you say, you know, I see something in your life and just wanted to bring you to attention. Oh, I'm okay. No teachable spirit. That's very much an indicator that there's arrogance there. And folks, we don't like that word arrogant because we say arrogance. We, we, we picture the person who's... And, and always, not only, not only speaking about themselves, but in a very condescending way to others. So we see arrogance. No, arrogance is simply when I live in a way that promotes myself over what God wants. That's arrogance. I remember when we were young parents. And some of you are parents of young children. I remember when we were young parents, we had... A, I think one or two, two of our young ones, and she'll smile when she when I when I'm going here. We were in a church that had college, a little Bible institute, and a single young college guy came up to my wife and said, "You know, I just wanted to bring your attention that that I noticed that um, your kids are doing this and." I would suggest to parent them you would do this. I saw some of your eyes just go up right there. Kind of like, what? And that was our first inclination. What? You've got this young, unmarried college guy, and he's going to tell us how we need to parent our children? I don't think so. But you know what? We had to stop and go, hmm. Now, wait a minute here. Even though it's coming from a very unlikely source, is there truth here? And that hurt because we don't want to take truth from an unlikely source. Because what that means is we need to humble ourselves. And after our initial, we decided, you know what? Even though we don't like the source, what he said made sense. And that's still great, doesn't it? But you know what? We had to really swallow some humble pie and be teachable at that moment. But not only is an individual walking humbly, they've got to have a teachable spirit, but they also have a servant's heart. A servant's heart. They're just like Christ. They give and they give and they give and they give. And then third, they have an obedient walk. That's what Philippians 2 tells us. That's what what Paul is telling the church there at Philippi, here is the example of Christ. Look at how Christ lived his life. He lived his life in obedience to God to the point of death. He not only obeyed when it was good, fun, he obeyed when it was rough. That's the mark of us as believers. So here are the requirements that the prophet gives. I must live my life doing what's right. I must treat others with mercy. I must walk humbly in God's ways. 
I want to make a statement, and then I want to wrap it all up here. The statement is this. When we're talking about pleasing God, folks, we're not talking about a list of rules and regulations. We're talking about circumcising the heart. Because it all is a heart matter. If we're disobeying God, if we're not living the right way, if we're not humbly walking before him, if we're not treating others with mercy, it's a heart issue. And so it must be treated at the level of the heart. Let's bring this into conclusion with, a, with an instance, an illustration we're familiar with here at Gateway. We've been going through the book of Revelation. Remember one of the churches in the beginning two chapters, the second chapter of Revelation? The church at Ephesus. Remember what the apostle said, what Christ said to the church at Ephesus? Hey, you guys are doing great. I see a lot of good in you. I see a lot of good that you're doing. I see a lot of good that you've done. All right. But, what does he say? I have something against you. Very familiar words to what the Lord said to Judah. I have a controversy before you. I have an indictment. He says that to the church there in Ephesus. I have something against you. What was that? He says you've left your first love. A heart issue. If you notice, he said all these things they were doing good, those were the list of rules and regulations. But he said, there's a heart issue here. You've left your first love. Then how does he say to fix it? He says, first, you have to recognize that's what's happened. You've got to see where you were and you've got to see from whence you were fallen. I love how that, that picture looks. It's like, ah, you know, whenever I read that, from whence you were fallen, ah, You've got to see that first. Then he says, you need to repent. You need to turn from what you're doing now, your attitude now. You've got to embrace the, you've got to look at the hard attitude you have now, and you've got to turn from that, because that's the only way to get back to where you were. And then he says what? Do the works to get back up there. Do those first works. You say, wait a minute. So he's saying, I need to do some list of rules and regulations. No, he's saying these requirements are there if we are going to please God. It's not just a list of rules to get to a specific spot. It's saying, wait a minute, my heart attitude now is that I love God. I want to please God. I want to live for God. So this is what's natural for me to do. And he says, do that. And I want to encourage all of us today, whatever state of your life you're in, let's take note of this real, this really interesting challenge from Micah on what does the Lord require of us. And I pray that that will be a blessing to us and a challenge to our hearts as we leave today.